This message is brought to you from Calon Church. We pray that it encourages and inspires you. I wondered where she was going. She said, I come from the bottom of the barrel, but that is where I came from. We, we read in Psalm 40, didn't we? We came out from the mud and the mire right down the bottom, and he's lifted us up. Hallelujah. Set our feet on a rock and established, set our feet strong so we can do his work and his will. Amen. So good to be here, and uh, thank you for having me again. You know, when you get invited somewhere once, you always wonder, will you ever get invited back? So thank you so much. So what I'm going to do this morning, I think most of you know me um, and Sarah, perhaps. Perhaps some of you don't, but you'll get to know us rather than repeating myself of who I am. But um, I work for Harvesters Ministries, and I've been a pastor for 20 years before that. And then in the last two or three years, feeling God nudging us into more wider stuff with the church around the world. And uh, that's what Harvesters Ministries is about. So that's where I am. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit about that. We are opening the way for the world to know Jesus. Amen. That's, what we're, that's why we're here, isn't it? All of us. Not just Harvesters, but all of us. And uh, since I came last time, we have planted another 25,000 wow. churches. Wow. Amen. <laughs> Remember we said it was going to go back, what, pow? Okay, and it, okay. so we've planted nearly um, 70,000 churches since in the last 20 years. It's our 20th birthday this year since it first started. So in the last year, 25,000 churches have been planted. Wow. They don't all look like this. They haven't all got buildings. Some of them are still in twos and threes, yeah? But they're meeting together in the name of Jesus, and they're seeking to plant more churches. Just like we, disciples make disciples, so we plant churches that plant churches. Okay, and it's done in that way because multiplication is a key, isn't it? The population of the world is growing faster than people coming to the Lord. Did you know that? So there will be more and more people in the world that know, know Jesus tomorrow than there will be today. And there will be less and less Christians in the world tomorrow compared to the population growth. Did you get that? Yeah? Think of corona. Anyone heard of coronavirus? Okay, they were estimating this morning that 100,000 of us could die in the UK. Oof. It's because of multiplication of that little, tiny little virus. But think of the multiplication of God's people. Yeah, I don't know how many billion of us there are now that are Christians in the world out of the eight billion. I think there's a billion of us. But imagine if we all just won one person to the Lord. Yeah. And we taught that one person to win another person to the Lord. It wouldn't take long to catch up with population growth. But anyway, if we can flick through the slides... We've got five pillars in Harvesters, and um, we're just going to quickly flick through them. It won't take too long. And the first one is evangelism. You can't plant a church without winning the lost. We try it in this country to do it in all sorts of different ways, planting a church. But essentially, we train people to win the lost first and plant a church with those new people. Okay? It's as simple as that. Okay? You, in fact, evangelism is really discipling the lost. Okay? Which we'll get onto discipleship later. So there's a little picture here. Okay, these are guys in uh, the Ivory Coast, and we teach them a certain way of evangelism using that little picture book there about man's heart, what's in man's heart, how far away God's heart, our hearts are from God, and are those different animals in our, their hearts. Uh, in the picture there, peacock stands for pride and all that. So we go, pig stands for uncleanness, and we just go, it's very good if you sit down with coffee with someone, just go through these pictures. Everyone understands pictures, don't they? And or they have a big one that they can take onto the streets. And they preach the gospel using this chart. And it says there that 43 pastors, okay, were dedicated to evangelism in um, Ivory Coast um, just before Christmas, I believe this was. Okay, so they're committed. And they went out on the streets because the first thing we do when we gather pastors together is we throw them out on the street to evangelize. We teach them how to evangelize and then they go out on the street to evangelize. And they went out. And they reached 104 people with the gospel and 44 made commitments to Jesus. Okay? You can start a church like that, can't you? Yeah? yeah? Through evangelism. And I know Africa's different, but um, I think the principles work because they're God's principles. They're the word of God. Next one. This guy. I love this guy. Okay? You can read that, can't you? It brings tears to my eyes. There's a, that village has never heard about Jesus. Okay? And he's in Vietnam. And... He's plan planning out where he's going to plant a church next, and he wanted to go into that village that hasn't heard about Jesus and uh, preach the gospel because he believes in the power of the gospel. Yeah, it saves. When people hear it, something happens. They either reject you, throw stones at you, spit at you, or they receive it. And that's the power of the gospel. Next one. 
church planting. So we've got evangelism, and then through evangelism, when people get saved in a particular area, you start a church with them. Okay? And uh, the more churches we have in our world, the better it will be. Amen? And that's what we want. Um, A church in every community, really, is what Harvesters is all about, so that everyone's got the opportunity to hear about Jesus through his people that are in all the different communities. Next one. Here we are. These are guys in Mali. Mali is a really tough place. I think it's 98% Muslim or something silly like that. But these small group of pastors that we have been training have planted 13 new churches. Okay? It's not sound a lot, yeah? But 13 new churches in this Islam, and even the rebels, rebels there, you know, that, are, that will shoot you if you're a Christian. If they, so they're finding it really difficult. But they're planting churches. People are responding to the gospel. In fact, the biggest people group coming to the Lord at the moment are, is, uh, are Muslims. Isn't that amazing in the world today? They're fed up with the terrorists, you know, the genuine Muslim. He's fed up with all of that. And he wants to know God really well. And God's appearing in many ways to these Muslims. Next one. Let me train leaders, okay? So we work with these pastors for three and a half years, four years sometimes, and we go in twice a year and we train them through a whole Bible school program, which we haven't got time to go into, so that these leaders can be strong leaders, healthy leaders, they understand their Bibles, they can preach a good sermon, okay? Nothing worse than having a pastor that can't preach, is it? (laughs) And uh, that isn't trained, that's lacking, okay? Paul says to Timothy that he wants us to be competent in our ministry, knowing how to be to study God's word and to share it with others. And that's what we do, spending three and a half, four years training these pastors. Very often, some of them are illiterate, okay? So it's really difficult. But uh, when, when they hear it, when they start to experience the training, they're able then to go and train others. Next one, please. Probably see a group of pastors here. These um, two guys, okay, were drunkards. They're in, I think they were in Vietnam again, actually, or Cambodia. I think, no, Cambodia. And uh, they were both drunkards for many, many years, and uh, they got saved. Guess what they did the next week? Instead of inviting all their friends around for a booze-up on whatever they make, okay, out of rice or whatever, uh, with a bit of something added to it, they decided to invite their friends around for church instead. Okay? That was the next week. Okay? That's the power of the gospel, isn't it? So they were drunkards one week. The next week, they'd go having a church in their own house. Now, these guys, they're not, you know, they're, these are rough, raw material. They've still got loads of issues to get through, but Jesus has met them and saved them, and they want to tell others about that. And uh, so we work with them, training them, and so there'll be a pastor now who will be looking after these two guys, helping them. What the pastor's learning from us, he will be passing on to them, so in time they will become leaders of this new little church that has opened up in their house. Next one. Discipleship. This is key. Okay, discipleship. We, We say it's paperless. Okay, we still need materials, but thankfully our, all our material now is being put onto an app. So we can go into any country if we can get in. I say we can go to any country. There's some countries you can't get into, but generally we can get into most countries. And with this app, okay, it's disguised as a game. Okay? It's, I think it's someone from NASA has designed it. A Christian in NASA in America has designed this app. All our materials on this app. So we can go in. It's disguised as a game. So if any of the authorities come along and say, what are you doing there, you Christians? Let's see, see what's on your phone. It's just, you know, Tetris comes up, okay? <laughs> and uh, there's certain buttons and things and colors. You press on the Tetris or whatever it might be, every game it is, and it opens up the app. So the training material is all on there. And each pastor, as he trains each uh, new leader, ticks them off, and they get then the app is then wi- not just Wi-Fi, because you can't always Wi-Fi in some countries, Bluetooth across. You can have a room full of pastors like this, just Bluetooth them all with their next phase of training. No one else gets to know about it because it's not done through Wi-Fi, just through Bluetooth. Ping, 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 ping. Everyone's got their training. Then they come back six months later and they all get ticked off and they can open up the next phase of their training. Isn't that wonderful? That's going to save us loads of money because at the moment, the whole um, training materials is what costs us and the Bibles is what costs harvesters the, the money. So next one. Here we are. This is a little bit from my friend in Lesotho which is down in, um, sort of surrounded by South Africa, isn't it? And uh, you press play and some volume, we might hear what they say. If not, we'll flick on to the next one. No, we didn't get it. But anyway, this is a whole group that have been discipled, okay? Uh, my friend was talking there, Pastor Francois, he was talking to a missionary. This guy was a missionary to his own people. He got saved when he went away to college, but because he got saved in college, a bit like my story, he wanted to go back to his village in the mountains in Lesotho, 
Okay, it's called the Mountain Kingdom. That's a lovely... Wales could be called the Mountain Kingdom, couldn't it? Um, but he went back and he started to plant churches. And he's planted, I think, 11 churches already over time. He's had training, not just in a Bible school. So he's a really good leader. Uh, but he's also had training with us and is able to train others in um, discipleship. Next one, please. And then we buy, um, distribute Bibles. So that's number five, our pillars. You know, you can't grow without God's word, can you? Say yes, Glenn. That's the best thing you've said yes to all day. We need our Bibles, don't we, to grow and to know Jesus better and to know God's plan and his purpose for our lives. And uh, you'll be surprised how many people that don't have, their, have a Bible. So many leaders, pastors that don't have Bibles, especially in poorer countries. We're able to go along and firstly give a pastor a Bible, then his new leader a Bible. And eventually we take in a, a, do a Bible placement. And we're hoping to go on one. I, I don't know if we go on one this year because the coronavirus has put us scuppered a lot of things. But we go in. And we take hundreds of Bibles and then get them out to the church as well. Our Bibles don't just get taken in and left or thrown around here. Everybody have one. They get given to those that are on our discipleship program so that they will actually use their Bible in discipling others. So they'll have their manual with the scriptural verses in and they'll use their Bible. And hallelujah, people start to grow and become like Jesus and follow him and do the same things. Amen. And then I think we've got a little video. Maybe this, if this doesn't work, it doesn't matter. These guys are so contagious, like the coronavirus. Will it come up? No, it's okay. But they're telling you how precious. These are two guys in Brazil. The, the, they're working on the, in the Amazon. We're going down, our Harvesters Ministries is going down the Amazon River planting churches. Isn't that incredible? There are 14,000 ch- um, villages on the Amazon River. Oh, here we go. Pastor Wander. Eu sou a pastora Sádia. I am Pastor Sádia. Nós trabalhamos no coração da Amazônia. We work in the heart of Amazon. Yes, a Bíblia. And this Bible simboliza symbols esperança. Hope. Nós moramos a quatro dias da capital. We live four days far from the capital of Amazon. E através da Bíblia. And through the Bible. Ela vai trazer esperança. It will bring hope. E vai ajudar. And will help a formar to form novos discípulos. New disciples. Continue orando por nós. Continue praying for us. Continue mandando Bíblias. Continue sending Porque Bibles. Porque essa because this Bible vai trazer will bring a transformação no coração in the heart do Amazonas. Of Amazon. Nos ajude com suas orações. Help us with your prayers. Se necessário for, se possível for. If, if it is possible. Puder mandar uma embarcação. Bring us a boat. É de muita utilidade. It will be very useful. Eu agradeço. I thank you. Por toda ajuda. For all the help em you sent to us in the name of Jesus. E nós estamos aqui para dizer para vocês, irmãos de todo o país, que nós estamos juntos para divulgar Jesus. We are here to Obrigado. save you, brothers from all the countries of the world. We are here together in Santo Antônio to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Obrigado. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone want to come with me to the Amazon to distribute Bibles? Yeah, I, I think I'd like to get on that trip if I could. Amen. Thank you for listening about that. We're going to turn to God's Word now. And uh, the title of uh, my message this morning is Recommissioned. Okay? Recommissioned. In Port Levin, any, how many of you been? how many have been to Port Levin? Okay, there's a few of you been to Port Levin. But down, right down in the heart of Port Levin is a boatyard. It used to be a boatyard. Now it's been taken over by supermarkets and uh, a garage and other and restaurants and things like that. But still there is a bit of a boatyard left. And what happens is now, in the olden days, it would be where they would put, put all their nets and where all the boats would get fixed, ready for the next year. But in that boatyard, there is a, an old, old boat, okay? And it, it happens many times that this boat, they found it, you know, in Scotland somewhere. It was made in Port Levin. A hundred years ago, I'm exaggerating some of these things just to get the effect, okay? A hundred years ago, it was made in Port Levin, and they found it, you know, in the mud up in Scotland somewhere, and someone has had the idea, we need to bring it down again into Port Levin, back to its place of its birth, and re-kit it out so that we can then recommission it. Wouldn't that be a wonderful idea? Okay, so you get the idea of recommissioning. It once had a brilliant job. It was once doing something wonderful, but somehow it's lost its way, it's got stuck in the mud, okay, and it's doing nothing. So we're going to look at this whole thing about being recommissioned this morning. Pastor Hugo in Guatemala, okay, he had a church of 15 for many years, 15, one five. Okay, he was getting so fed up, he was working, 
in, uh, in industry. He was getting fed up that his church wasn't growing. And uh, Harvesters came along and just told him some of the five things that we've looked at this morning, how to evangelize, yeah, and how to um, plant churches and how to disciple each other. Within a year, him and his 15 people have planted 30 more churches and have got now 700 people in those churches, okay? He is like come alive. He's given up his job, <laughs> his secular job, to, to work full-time for the church and the churches that he is looking at. He was so, he's like being recommissioned. He was ready to give up. He got stuck in the mud, okay? You know, it's really scary to preach the gospel in Guatemala. You go on the streets and you'll meet drug lords. They carry guns and knives. You know, you've seen the movies, haven't you, as soon as you get to those type of countries. And even some of the pastors that were with Pastor Hugo in our first training session, some of them left because they knew that our first lesson with them is to teach them to evangelize and to send them out. And some of them left because they don't want to do that because they were scared of losing their lives or getting beaten up by the drug lords. But Pastor Hugo started to put it into practice, started to plan where he was going to plant churches and has been recommissioned, reinvigorated to work for God. We're going to look at two passages this morning. And um, I believe that the whole recommissioning is, going, is taking place in these two passages. Some people call them the, the two catches of fish. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 5, and we're going to look at John chapter 21, and we're going to read some verses. I'm so glad when you go to a church and the first thing someone does is read God's word. Thank you, Ruth. Yeah, we need God's word, don't we? I think Paul says to Timothy, neglect not. I've got some of the King James versions in my head. Neglect not the public reading of the scriptures. It's so important. Because if you've heard nothing else today, at least you've heard God's word. Yeah, and we've heard lots more. I mean, God has been speaking to us. But the word of God is so, so important. So Luke chapter 5 and uh, verse 1 to 11. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret or Galilee with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. I'd love to know the way he said that, you know? If there's a bit of a, you know, I've just, we've just washed all our nets and now we've got to chuck it. Anyway, you know, another lot of hard work he feels is coming his way. So when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Amen. Now, we're going to go over to John chapter 21. Just remember, that was at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's calling the disciples, yeah? Now we've gone to the very end of... He's, in fact, he's died and risen again. He's alive now, resurrected. They don't know that at this particular moment in time in John chapter 21. But just relate the two stories together, okay? If you can. John chapter 21, verse 1 to 19. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. That's seven of them. Okay, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. A bit similar, isn't it? Yeah, to the other story. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. 
but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him. I'm trying to get in the rush of it, right, and the excitement of it, okay, because he'd taken it off because he was working, obviously, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Amen. It's good, isn't it, to compare stories. And I think when we look at the recommissioning, something has happened, okay, from the first Luke chapter 5 until when we get to John chapter 21, Jesus has died, okay, and the disciples have gone back fishing. They needed a recommissioning because they weren't doing what God had originally or what Jesus had originally called them to do. That's my first challenge to us this morning. Yeah? Are we doing what God originally called his church? Not you as an individual, but as a church. Are we originally doing what he called us to do? As we said, it's Luke chapter 5 is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry where they're calling him rabbi and teacher. John chapter 21 is at the end of his ministry. And as we see when they realize it's him, they're calling him Lord and Savior. There's a big difference, isn't there? They've, through those three and a half years that Jesus has been with them, they know who he is. They've learned to realize that he's someone special. He's the Lord. He's God himself. At the beginning, in Luke chapter 5, they've been recru- recruited. Okay, they've been asked to join in, yeah, to become a follower of Jesus. Now, in John chapter 21, he's recommissioning them. They've been discipled. They know the truths of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, and he wants to send them out themselves to go and do the work that Jesus had begun. When you compare that, they were both in boat. Both stories had boats in them, didn't they? Both stories had fish in them. Both stories are on the Sea of Galilee. Boats talk about travel and getting out there. You know, you've got to get out there to get fish, haven't you? You, can't, you don't catch as many fish on the shore, do you, if you're just using the line? But if you use a net in a boat, you catch a lot more, okay? You could, we've got to win people. That's what the fish are all about. And Galilee, Galilee was just an everyday place. Normal life was going on. Okay, and this whole evangelism stuff it happens in normal day life. Amen. Yeah, do we witness to people in our work, in our school, you know, with our neighbors? It's that type of day to day evangelism and getting back to that that Jesus uh, has called us to. So, first of all, there's a whole misconception of, of Jesus, isn't there, by the disciples? They didn't know. You know, all those three and a half years, even though he told them, and it's, he told them a lot more during the end, of, coming up to his death and the crucifixion, they didn't realize that he was actually going to die. They'd seen him raise people to life. Yeah? What are these Romans going to be? You know, Jesus can just go poof, and they, you know, they were really hoping he was going to destroy the Romans, set up God's kingdom on earth, the Jews would have their freedom back, and no doubt the disciples would be there with Jesus leading everything. That was the type of, I've said that rather quickly, but that's the gist of the the disciples, and what they thought at that time. Okay, they thought he was the Messiah, the one who would come, and he was, of course, the one who would come and sort out all their problems. Yeah? They didn't understand that Jesus came to die and to destroy death and to come back to life again. You see... Very often as a young Christian, it's all about what Jesus has done for me. And that's so important. We need to know what Jesus has done for me. 
don't we? But as you grow as a Christian, you then start to realize, what is Jesus, not only has he done for me, but what is he going to do through me? Yes, that's the key, isn't it? How do I serve him? How do I let him use me so that others can get to know him and what he's done for them? And so that they can then serve him and do the same as well. And so this whole misconception of Jesus, he's coming to destroy the Romans or whatever they might have thought, has suddenly been destroyed because Jesus had died. They didn't know he was alive. And so they pressed the default button, yeah? It's nice to press the default button, especially, or the defrag button, whatever button you want to press, just to get back to normal, isn't it, yeah? How many of you like to get back to normal? Yeah? But normal isn't always where God wants us to be. Did you know that? <laughs> he wants us to be in the supernormal, yeah? <laughs> where God is working, where God is doing things, okay? And this is the challenge for us. Very often when our Christian life takes a bit of a bashing and you know we start to question why is this happening what what's going on we can press the the default button whatever button you want to press just to go back to what i used to do you know remember what we used to do remember the land of egypt we had leeks and onions and garlic that's a great combination isn't it okay that's what the children of israel said they just wanted they'd been wandering around in the desert things were getting tough and hard they would they disobeyed god he was still with them he gave them shoes that didn't wear out and they had manna from heaven and quail that came in and everything but oh wouldn't it be good just to go beep and suddenly be back in egypt with garlic and onions okay (laughs) and of course serving the egyptians they forgot to say that bit didn't they the very and this is what happened to the disciples jesus has died what do they do they go back to what they do naturally they go back fishing yeah they go back to what they're doing now in a sense there was nothing wrong with that but it wasn't what jesus had called them to do was it in the first time, Jesus had called them to be fishers of men. He called them to win the world with the gospel. He trained them for three and a half years on how to disciple others. Yeah? How to teach them to follow Jesus. See, a disciple is a follower, isn't it? Okay? And the way we do harvesters is basically we are just one step ahead. of Je- Jesus is always one step ahead of us. Harvesters is one step ahead of the ones we are training. The ones we are training are one step of the ones ahead of the ones that they are training. And all we, have, all we do with Jesus is just where he goes, we just take one step. Sometimes we think, you know, we've got to run as fast as we can for as long as we can. Yeah? And, of course, there's that whole element. Paul talks about it when he looks at the um, running the race. There is that sense. But really, day-to-day following Jesus is just one step at a time. Yeah? Putting your foot in his foot. Doing, if he says something, you say it. He teaches something, you teach it. Okay? That's how we follow Jesus, putting it into practice. Peter had left all to follow Jesus in Luke chapter 5. Yeah? Now he's gone back fishing. And the outcome was just the same. <laughs> they caught nothing. <laughs> yeah? That's this is what we do we we our default is our own strength what we can do yes because yeah. we think we can you know catch a couple of fish at least to have dinner but they didn't even do that because <laughs> they were reverting back to what they could do rather than what god and jesus had called them to do they'd lost his purpose in their lives yeah i'm just thinking god may be saying that to someone today you feel you've lost your purpose what god wants you to do well, he's come this morning to recommission you. Hallelujah. To get you back, to get you back into God. I don't know if any of you know Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah? If you ever, if you want to read uh, or listen to, go on YouTube and type in Arnold Schwarzenegger's, um, the way he did what he did. Okay? Yes, that, that one. Yeah, <laughs> just in case you didn't know. But he set out to be... Mr. Universe, right? His whole purpose was to be number one, strongest, was it strongest man or most, yeah, the best looking bodybuilder. That's probably the right way to say it. And his whole purpose was to be, so when he was training and sweating pints and his muscles were hurting, what carried him through was is that he wanted to be Mr. Universe. Okay, because he had a purpose to become Mr. Universe. Then he wanted to be the best film star in the world. Now, I don't know if he achieved that or not, but in his own eyes, you know, the Terminator. 
who isn't impressed by the Terminator or some of the other characters he played? Yes? Even the Terminator said he'd be back. You know, he was this in invincible type of person and character. And uh, his whole purpose in acting and, you know, with his accent and his, his physical, you know, it, it was hard for him. But he, his purpose was to become one of the best actors in Hollywood. And he achieved that. In his eyes, anyway. Okay, he achieved that. Then he wanted to become governor. I think he even says he wanted to become president. Um, thankfully, he didn't, although he may have done a better job than Donald Trump. Who knows? But he became, and he is, I think he still is, or he was, and then he wasn't, and then he is again, governor of California. And he did it because everything he did, you know, it's a big change, isn't it, going from being Mr. Universe to governor of, and we're all going, how on earth did that happen? But it was because he felt it was his purpose to be that person. And everything he did was focused on becoming that person. He had a purpose. The saddest thing about it all, when you listen to him, you think, wow, that's wonderful, that's wonderful, that's wonderful. He's got no, when, when, he, when he dies, he's got no eternal purpose. Do you know what I mean? He's, just, he's lived his life as best as he could down here and done, achieved those things. But at the end of the day, as we know, they are just going to be nothing, aren't they, when he stands in the presence of God, if he hasn't found Jesus so do you have purpose this morning? Do you have God's purpose on your heart? Do you know what he has called you to do? Or are you still working in your own strength and nothing much is happening? But then enter Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm so glad Jesus stands on the shore. He knows exactly what's going on. They don't know it's him yet, but he knows exactly what's going on out there. He knows their, what they're feeling. You know, he knows their disappointment in him from leaving them, for dying, their deflation, that they've got no purpose again. Wouldn't it wonderful going around with Jesus for three and a half years, raising people to life and seeing miracles, and even him letting you do it as well? Incredible. They'd had an amazing time with Jesus. And he's gone. But Jesus is still there. In John chapter 21 and, and verse 4, it says, as we've read, he called out to them, friends, have you, haven't you, no, I'm at verse 4, I do need these. I put them in my pocket just in case. I'm 50 now, and for some reason your eyes just go a bit funny. That's better. I can, I can see. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. I just think that's a lovely... Oh, I can't see you now. I just think that's a lovely phrase, don't you? Jesus standing on the shore, looking at you and me. Yeah? Jesus is standing at the right hand of God this morning, and he's looking at you and me. In fact, he's even prepared a little breakfast, okay? That's just how wonderful he is. He knows exactly what these hungry fishermen, they've caught nothing themselves, okay? He knows exactly what they're going to need. So he's already prepared breakfast for them on the beach. He's ready to meet their need. He's ready to challenge them again with the Great Commission. It's a new day. It's early in the morning. The sun is rising, Yeah? And Jesus is there. He didn't know it. But of course, Jesus changes everything. Say that to the person next to you. Jesus changes everything. In Luke chapter 5, we read that Jesus is in the boat. How many people like it when Jesus is in the boat? Yeah, it's so much better, isn't it? But now he's on the shore. In fact, it says he's 100 yards away. In fact, he's actually... I don't know how far heaven is away, but it's a long way away, isn't it? Yeah, that's where Jesus is. He's seated at the right hand of God, okay? And we'll get to the, the be better bit of that in a minute. But at this particular point in time, Jesus isn't in the boat with them. And sometimes it can feel like that. That's how they were feeling. Jesus isn't with us anymore, but he is watching on the shore. He is watching, yes? From heaven itself. Yeah, with eyes that see everything, with a heart that feels everything and knows everything about you. And I think a transition is happening here. The disciples have got to get used to Jesus not being there physically. But, the, but they need to know that he is, he, he's going to be even more powerful if he goes back to heaven. And so there's this little transition of him just being not with them in the boat, but on the shore. Okay, Because eventually he's going to be up there in heaven at the right hand of God, receiving all power so that he can pass that power on to us through the Holy Spirit and be with each individual one in us. Yes? So he was with them. Now he's on the shore. And eventually, he's going to be in them. Hallelujah. See, Jesus couldn't do miracles, whether it's 100 yards away, whether it's in the boat, or whether he's in heaven right now. Amen? Time travel has got nothing on Jesus. doesn't matter how far away he is. He can do something. Hallelujah. 
Jesus can do miracles. Verse 5, Jesus is standing on the shore, right? And then he calls out to the disciples, Friends, haven't you any fish? Friends, haven't you any fish? I'm going to try and just unpack what does that mean for us today? If, I, if Jesus was here, let's, oh, say, let's pretend he is. <laughs> Jesus is here, and he says to us this morning, have you caught anything? Let's try and unpack that and see how we can make it fit for us today as it did for the disciples then. Okay? Now, as intelligent men, their full answer was a resounding no. Okay? <laughs> no. Men often answer like that, don't they? Not, you know, they didn't go into the why they didn't have any fish. It was just a, a disappointing no. Have you caught anything, friends? No. But then Jesus, in verse 6, tells them to throw the net on the right side of the boat. Do you know why it's the right side? Because that's where the fish were. <laughs> See, Jesus knows where the fish are. You know, that these are fishermen who are professionals. Yeah, they'd actually been fishing at night because that's the best time to fish, apparently, on the Lake of Galilee because their nets are made of white cotton or thread or whatever they were made of then and you fished at night so the fish wouldn't see the nets. Yeah, and the, the fish did certain, they came alive at night, they fed on things at night that they didn't feed on during the day. They generally went down to the bottom in the daytime because it was cooler. But they caught nothing. Jesus comes along <laughs> and he turns even nature upside down in, in one way. And he does that, doesn't he? He does miracles. He knows where the fish are. Maybe even the fish had been attracted to him for some reason, especially for this miracle. Amen? Jesus is attracting the fish to himself. He just needs a disciple to come along and connect the two together. Yeah? Say yes, Glenn, because that was good. God needs us to connect with the fish. He knows where they are. He knows that they're swimming towards us. They're underneath the boat on the right-hand side, right close. There's so many people that want to know Jesus, and they're right next to you. They're right there. And we'll go on the left-hand side and work really, really hard and catch nothing in our own strength. So do what he says, and so they do. They throw the net in. They still don't know it's Jesus. And when they did, they caught. Hallelujah. They caught a large number of fish. You know, God works with us, doesn't he? In fact, I love that the last um, um, chapter of Mark's gospel where the disciples went and God was working with them. It's a lovely phrase there. God works with us. We often think we've got to work with God, and of course we have, but the other way around works as well. Yeah. If we're doing what he's called us to do, he works with us. Yeah, if you're telling other people about Jesus, if you're living your life as a Christian in front of others, God will work through it. God will work with you, yeah? It, just naturally, by just doing the simple things that he's taught us to do and following him. They were the experts, but that they'd failed. And Jesus teaches that he is the source of success. Amen? Amen. Obedience to his voice releases the miracle. We throw the net, he fills it, yeah? So how's it going, friends? How's it going? Have you caught anything? Hopefully you won't catch the coronavirus. What have you been working really, really hard at, but it doesn't seem to be happening? How's it going with your relationships this morning? Yeah, how's it going with your job? This is Jesus. He's looking. He's standing on the shore. He's close by this morning, really close by. And he's asking, how's it going? Friends. How's it going with you? How's it going in your family? How's it going with your finances? And perhaps more importantly in what this is all about, how's it going with winning lost people to Jesus? Now, I don't want condemnation to just fall <laughs> in this room. That's not what it's about. Okay? I don't want us, but I do want us to be real and just say, like, have you caught anything? No. Okay, to actually say it. 
confess to God that what you've been working at, whether it's in ministry, whatever it might be, but especially in evangelism or preaching the gospel, just say, Lord, I haven't caught anything. God, help me. I need you. You know, you know the answer. You know where the fish are. You know how to solve my relationship problem, my money problem, my whatever it might be. You know all about that, Lord. I love it when Jesus questions our situations, yeah? But he, he questions us so that we can somehow within us come out with the answer for ourselves. Even if it's just a no, you know? An honest answer. He questions our motives. He questions our lives, what we're doing with them. He questions our service as Christians. He understands our empty nets. He understands our emptiness. That's good, that, no? He understands our emptiness. He understands we've been serving and doing so much for so long, and yet there seems to be nothing to show for it. And there's nothing wrong with being dutiful and slogging away. There's nothing wrong with being faithful, faithful, faithful. But sometimes it can even t- it can turn into our own strength, can't it? What we can do for God, rather than what He does through us. So how's it going this morning? How do you answer? We need to get back to what He's called us to do, and that's the challenge this morning. He called them in Luke chapter five to be fishers of men. What are they doing now? They're fishing for fish. But he recommissioned, I love the second chances of God, don't you? And the third and the fourth and the fifth and however many chances we need. He comes back to us time and time again to get us back on track to where we should be. And perhaps he's doing that for you this morning. And suddenly when they see the miracle, John's eyes are opened. He's the one that seems to be closest to Jesus. It's the Lord. Hallelujah. And as soon as Peter hears that, he throws, grabs his cloak because they'd obviously taken it off to fish, fish guts hopefully to have some fish guts or maybe they took it off because to get the fish in or whatever it has happened anyway and he, he goes into the shore jumps into the water goes running towards Jesus and now a bit different from Luke chapter 5 they caught that first catch of fish and Peter saying get away from me I'm a sinner Lord now Peter's running towards him he knows he's the only hope he knows that Jesus has got a plan and a purpose for his life a work of grace in those three and a half years has being at work in discipleship yeah he knows the character of Jesus Jesus isn't going to throw him away Jesus isn't going to cast him off just because he's you know failed and the whole story in John chapter 1 is you know when he denied Jesus three times remember in in the courts when Jesus is being tried but isn't it amazing you would have thought Peter would have been the last one to want to see Jesus because he's failed him and failed but no he runs, well, I presume he runs or swims. I don't know how he does it. They're only 100 yards from shore, so it couldn't be that deep. But he makes his way towards Jesus because he knows Jesus has got the answer. He knows Jesus can put him back on track again. And so Peter responds. Jesus, Peter responds. Hope is restored. Hallelujah. The fish in the net are the, take second place, really, don't they? Why? Because Jesus is there. He's back. They thought he'd die, but he's back. Their hero, their saviour, their Lord. He's back with them. And the fish takes second place. Bums on seats take second place. Amen? Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> His Lord is what's most important. You put bums on seats, if that's what you want. I want to do it your way, Lord. And so we get that wonderful scene, don't we? Breakfast is ready, a net full of fish, and Jesus is there. Oh, that's a wonderful picture, isn't it? I think it's a little glimpse of heaven in a sense, but it can happen here, you know? Breakfast is ready. Yeah, the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't know what you can go into this way you like. Net's full of fish. Everyone's been gathered in, and Jesus is there in the center. It's a new day. Amen? It's a new beginning for them. Jesus is proving that he still loves them. He hasn't given up on them because they gave up on him. Not at all. In fact, he still wants to send them out into all the world to preach the gospel. This time the net doesn't break. Remember the first time it broke because they had so many? This time it doesn't break. I wonder if that's just a little sign to Peter, you know, that he's not going to get lost. Okay, that Jesus has really got hold of him. 
he's not going to be one of those little fish that, you know, gets lost or gets falls out of the net. He's going to be kept by the wonderful power of Jesus. I don't know. Why 153 fish? Just type it into Google. You'll get a zillion reasons why <laughs> there was 153. The one I like, because I'm into missions, is that there was 153 <laughs> known species of fish. In the, and it represents the 100 whatever different types of people there are in the world. Anyway, that's not necessarily true. And then comes the great, the recommission, rather. In Luke chapter 5, I want you to be fishers of men. Now for Peter, it changes a little bit. It goes to feed my sheep. Yeah? When I first went to Port Levin, we'll be close with this now, I can remember standing up on the cliff and I was watching the fishermen and the seagulls coming down and picking up all the dead bits of heads and that that they've gutted out on the, as they're fishing, bringing in the nets, bringing in the pots of stuff. And then the farmer was on the clifftop with the sheep. And I felt it right, and God really spoke to me. He said, I want you to make fish into sheep. Now that's probably impossible, isn't it? In the natural, but in the spiritual, that's exactly what we are doing. Paul, uh, Jesus had called the disciples to evangelize and to disciple, to go and to preach the gospel, but also to go and make disciples of all nations. Yeah, teaching them to obey what I've commanded you. Matthew 28. The most important word in that verse in Matthew 28 is the word make. We often think it's go. Go is important. Of course it is. We often think it's, it's to obey. But the actual main reason why Jesus came was to make us into the image of his own self and his own son, Jesus Christ. That's what God wants. He, wants, he loves Jesus so much, he wants loads more looking like him. Hallelujah. That's why he came. And it's the making making of disciples that is so, so important. And so that for, for Peter, there's this little transition, although there's a, perhaps it's an addition. He's been with Jesus for three and a half years. He knows now how to disciple. He knows how to win the lost. He knows how to disciple them. He knows how to be a fisher of men, and now he's being recommissioned to feed God's sheep. Still fishing for men, but making turning those fish into sheep. Yeah? The fish are outside, aren't they, generally? The sheep are on the inside. This is, this is not complicated. The, the fish on the outside need evangelizing. They need the gospel. Hallelujah. The sheep on the inside need to be taught how to obey the teachings of Jesus so that our lives can be living right. That doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, but that means we become more and more like Jesus. And part of that is then to train us to go out and to do the same, to win more fish. So Peter... The one who denounced Jesus three times is recommissioned. In that little prophecy we had this morning about worship, I don't think God was meaning us singing necessarily. I don't think he was meaning our coming to church on a Sunday. Worship, as we know, is, is a lot, lot more than that. And at the end of John chapter 1, you see Jesus challenging Peter. Do you love me? Yeah, do you worship me? Am I number one in your life, Peter? And of course, Peter, Peter sort of, well, of course you know. <laughs> and then eventually, again, he asks that question to get it out of him. Yes, I do love you, Lord. You know I love you. Okay, then, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Do it. Prove it. Show it. Yeah, you'll be killed for it. You'll be hung upside down or whatever it might be, what happens to him. But he's got his mission back. Do you want your mission back this morning? Yeah? Come back to Jesus. Answer honestly. As a church, there's so many things that we can get distracted by. You know, I love all the, the wonderful things that churches do today. Coffee mornings, toddler groups, alpha courses. They're all brilliant, brilliant things to do. But very often they can, not always, but they can sidetrack us from actually preaching the gospel. Yeah? I've, I've come to learn, and I still say it, we don't share the gospel. No, nobody in the New Testament shares the gospel. They preach it, they demonstrate it, they proclaim it. If I had a box of uh, roses, chocolates here, I would share them, wouldn't I? Would you like one? It would be yes or no. Okay, we don't share the gospel. Would you, would you like it or not? No, 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 no. 
we preach the gospel, you need it. (laughs) Without it, you're going to be lost. Now, of course, they don't have to accept it. That's up to them. There's a bit of a difference, isn't there, between sharing the gospel and actually preaching the gospel. And you know what? All the different things that are going on in our world today, and whether we put the LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ in there somewhere, okay, I think we're trying, our mouths are being closed from sharing the best news ever. Yeah? Now, yes, we may have to be a bit more clued up on how to say it, but we still need to preach this good news of Jesus Christ. Because otherwise, fish can't become sheep. Don't let setbacks or failures in the past, don't let mediocrity or whatever might be on your heart right now that's not, you know, that's not quite from God, stop us from doing what we've been called to do. Let's keep the main thing, as you know this, don't you? Keep the main thing, the main thing. Winning the lost and making them like Jesus. Can we just pray? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus. We thank you that you sent your one and only Son to do just what we've been talking about this morning, to win the lost and to teach them to become like God. And Lord, you were that perfect example. Lord, we want to be like you. We want to follow you. We want to become like you. We want to tell others about you. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that's lost their way in your purpose, that feels that they can't do what once they used to do, Lord, I pray that there will be a recommissioning moment this morning by your Holy Spirit, just to put us back on track again. Lord, I pray, just sit down with someone this morning and have breakfast with them, Lord. Recommission them, Lord. Let them know that you're going to use them for your glory and for your name's sake. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was brought to you from Calon Church. If you want to know more, please check us out online at calon.church.